to a passage known as Faith and Deeds. Uh, and James talks about the crucial aspects of having faith, uh, having actions to back up your faith. Um, so it's basically having in Christ. Um, so to explain this relationship between faith and deeds, James seems to describe two very different kinds of faith. Um, so we've called these the demon or demonic faith, which seems like a pretty harsh word, I guess, um, or, uh, or the demonstrative faith, which is uh, the good faith. Um, so I'll explain the demonic faith first um, and describe the very real dangers that this kind of faith has for us. And then I'll hand over to Jono to explain the demonstrative faith um, in the second half of the passage. So, if you guys want to turn to James chapter 2, I'm actually pretty short. Um, James chapter 2, and it starts at verse 14. So, we'll be, we'll be reading till verse 19. So, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose, the, suppose a brother or sister is, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it, is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's a pretty brutal way that James opens the passage in verse 14 where he says, can such faiths save them? I honestly skipped over this at first, but there's one significant word, save which threatens our eternal home in heaven. So we should all be paying attention. James is asking if a faith without deeds can secure our salvation. But he's also asking, when Jesus felt nails shoot through his skin and bones, when he was humiliated and left alone on the cross, and even left by his closest disciples, who he called his friends, if that was all for nothing. Because if our faith doesn't save us, the cross truly was all for nothing. But the final verse of that passage is just as brutal. So... So you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It almost sounds sarcastic, good. And he just called me a demon as well. It's definitely a hard verse to read, but once I recovered emotionally, I realized that this must just be something that James needed early Christians to truly understand. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James has a point. If you believe in God, awesome but you're still only halfway there. You're actually still only equal with demons. In fact, at multiple points throughout the New Testament, demons submit completely to Jesus and do what he says. The group of demons that entered the pigs in Matthew 8 and ran down the hill, they even begged Jesus. They had a very clear understanding of who he was, of his power and glory, which is a position not many of us can even take now. Not that we should be taking too many pointers from demons, but what James says is that faith in God is no place to stop. It's no place to be content, because at that stage, you aren't any better than demons. You need action to complete your faith. The example James uses for a faith without action, if you want to look at verse 16 and 17, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's such a strong example. Because imagine if it was you that was in need. For those here today that were maybe in addiction, abuse, poverty, or just emptiness, imagine if no one helped. Imagine if God never helped. <laughs> imagine if, Don, if John 3.16 said, God so loved the world 
that he sent a high five with some encouraging words. <laughs> no, so God promised to send a savior and he fulfilled his promise with action. Else that promise would be dead. James says in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's like a plate without food, which scares me a lot. Or it's like a plane without wings. It's such a scary picture because when we declare Jesus as Lord, that's not the faith we promise. So this is a brutal passage which has salvation to start with and being called a demon to finish. So if you're not paying attention, I actually can't help you. So the main, the main issue I'll be focusing on from this passage is the danger of this demonic faith without action. The danger of what James calls dead faith. And I'm not just saying it's dangerous to scare you into being a better disciple, and neither was James. The truth is there really is big risks, certainly for our salvation, as I mentioned, but risks here and now too. In the previous chapter of James, I don't know if you want to flick there, but the last verse says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, but then he adds, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is his first plea for us to protect ourselves from the world around us. James saw that back then the world was contagiously evil and tempting, that it polluted us. And we know that nothing's changed since then. From extreme poverty, corruption, war, to the subtle twisting of our minds every day in culture and television. James knew the danger, and he also knew that God was our only escape from corruption ourselves. Demonic faith can't save us. Only living as Christ lived can save us. So if we're surrounded by a world that corrupts us, it's almost like laziness is just as dangerous as sin itself. Without action to fight the world around us, we're in danger of our own corruption. I like to think of it this way. Think of yourself as like a room with multiple doors that go in and out of it. So each door is a different sin or temptation that leads to the evil world outside it. And as life goes on, different doors sequentially creep open. So our job is obviously to keep walking around and closing those doors, right? It's kind of weird, but just stay with me. So, for example, someone at work starts flirting and you're tempted, that's a door that creeps open. Or let's say you hang around a group of people that are quite lazy or idle in their faith, and you start becoming more content with doing less for God. Both of those are examples of doors that creep open. Now, to close these doors, that's what action's for. Action is what closes the doors by physically matching or aligning our lives with our faith. Action's like sharing our faith with the lost world around us, showing people God's word and being built up in our own faith as we see theirs grow. Or even things like loving God with all our minds, getting our reading time, uh, thinking about whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, like Paul says in Philippians. Uh, we have to love people, forgive people. We have to go out and fish for people. All of this will keep walking around and shutting those doors to the world and help leave more doors open to God. And none of it's actually possible without effort and sacrifice. Without the motivation, we may not always make it to the doors in time to close them. Last week, I had such a busy day that I forgot to get my reading time. I was so annoyed, but because I assumed I'd be able to catch up tomorrow, it was all right. But I didn't catch up. I thought this would make me crave the Bible more, but the opposite actually happened. I lost the motivation. I wasn't thinking about God as much. My prayers honestly felt so rushed and religious, all just because my idleness left that door open. I was too lazy to walk over and close it. And the corrupting world actually started to get a foothold. I know it's such a small example, but the same happens with so many sins. They're all just a chain reaction. So in summary, a faith without deeds is dead. Laziness in our faith just kills it. Faith without daily sacrifice to love our God first 
and then love our neighbors and provide for those that are in distress, not just say it, but do it, is dead. Dead because idleness can't protect us from the world around us and we leave doors open to sin. And dead because our promises that we make to God become so empty. We all need to sacrifice. That's the truth. We all need to sacrifice. None of us would even be here if we didn't sacrifice time, effort, and eventually even our way of life for God. In the words of Jesus himself, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, verse 39. Now I'll hand over to Jono for the good version of faith. Thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, so if you guys don't know me, my name is Jono, uh, and so I'll be doing the second half of the sermon and be talking about demonstrative faith, which is kind of like the second passage of, of, or second part of the passage we were looking at. So if you guys would like to uh, turn back to James 2, and we're going to continue from verse 20. So uh, in verse 20, it says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did uh, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what his actions were. Um, by his, what? Sorry, his faith, faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so, I mean, to kind of uh, summarize early what this whole passage is about, uh, and the whole thing and my points can be kind of captured uh, in a quote by Martin Luther, that says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In verse 22, it describes faith as needing to work in conjunction with actions for it to be be made complete, which alternatively means that faith without actions is incomplete. The passage is giving us evidence of why faith and deeds cannot exist without each other and explains what faith practically looks like. James gives gives us the examples of Abraham and Rahab so that we can dissect exactly what righteous faith looks like. And so in this, passage, in this passage, we can see two very contrasting figures that I made, I made contrasting deliberately to, to make some very interesting points. So as the first example, James uses Abraham. And Abraham's the esteemed patriarch of the Jews, the father of many nations. And he uses them to make the point that even someone as revered as Abraham still needed to demonstrate his faith through obedient action and radical action as well. Because when you look at what he actually did, it, it wasn't easy. For those not familiar with the story, Abraham is commanded by God to leave his home. Abraham obeys and trusts that God will fulfill his promise to Abraham that he will be the father of many nations. Uh, and despite Sarah being way too old, God, God promises that she will conceive a son. Um, and eventually, Sarah does conceive a son, and, uh, who's named Isaac. And, and God uses Isaac to test Abraham's faith. Uh, God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, on, his only son, on the altar. And Abraham, without question, prepares Isaac as an offering. Now, obviously, God intervenes, and Isaac is spared. And Abraham is still declared righteous 
not because of, of well, because he was willing to go, with the, uh, go through with the action. Abraham, because he viewed, because he's viewed as such a, a prominent figure of authority, especially in, in terms of Jewish uh, history, uh, we really got to look at him as a precedence for faith. Like, he sets the standard, uh, which is why James uses him as an example. He is a man that is referred to in verse 23 as righteous and a friend of God because of the action he takes in obedience. Uh, yeah, Abraham, as a father of many nations, is used by James to imply that everyone, uh, that all of us, are children of God. And because we're all children of God, the same kind of lesson that he's demonstrating applies to, to us as well, as they did to the Jewish people back, back when this was written. Uh, James is using the story of Abraham and Isaac to help us realize that demonstrative faith is necessary for everyone and not just a select group of people. And James really emphasizes this point that faith with deeds is necessary for everyone by contrasting the examples of Abraham and Rahab. So on one side you have Abraham, who, who is obviously, like I said earlier, uh, this, uh, the patriarch of the Jewish, Jewish faith, uh, the father of many nations, and then you have Rahab, who is a prostitute. And so if you're not familiar with Rahab as well, uh, she's a she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, uh, and she hears about the, the God of Jews who delivered them from, from slavery in Egypt and recognizes that she needs to align herself with God's side. She needs to be with his people. And so once the city of Jericho, her city, starts to come under siege by the Israelites, her faith compels her to, to shelter Israelite spies and misdirect their pursuers. Her actions result in the city of Jericho being destroyed by the Israelites. So that's really the first point I want to make. Faith with, our action, uh, faith with action sorry, is for everyone. And because of that contrast, we can see, or we have Abraham on one side and we have Rahab on, on the other of the spectrum, and we can really find a place that we fit in there. Because, I mean, I mean it's, it's, really, it's easy to relate to because you have two extremes on either side. Uh, James is showing us, showing us that despite Abraham and Rahab being so vastly different, they are both declared righteous because of one common factor. And that common factor is that they, they act on their faith. And so, why don't, well, what, do, what do actions of genuine faith look like, practically? And so there's a few characteristics from the, from the passage that um, I'm, I'm going to point out. Uh, and then I feel like they're very relevant to us. So genuine faith is obedient. In verse 21 of chapter 1, James says that, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But instead, do what it says. Abraham heard the command of God for, for him to offer Isaac up as his offering. And Abraham submitted to that command. For a father to willingly sacrifice his son is, is unbearable to even imagine. I mean, I have, I'm obviously not a dad, but I have no frame of reference to, to even comprehend what that might feel like. Uh, so, however, however for, for Abraham, especially in that, in that modern era, or in that era, uh, sacrificing your son meant so much more. I mean, your son was, was someone to carry on your, your lineage. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, lineage and genealogy is a massive part of, of Jewish culture. Uh, and it, it mentions it frequently in the Bible. Um, and so by Abraham offering up his son, he was essentially offering up his, his chance to, to have his name carried on. Uh, yeah, and so I'm sure Abraham would have been a bit confused with the approach God was taking. Because if you remember, God has promised Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. 
But now, now God is saying, sacrifice your only son. It's like you can't be the father of many nations with, with no kids. So, I mean, I'm sure there was a point where Abraham was like, uh, what's happening? What's going on here? Uh, but we need to remember, just like Abraham did, that God works in a radically different way to what we would, and to what we would, we would expect. Abraham was willing to submit to God despite not knowing any reasons why. And that's what made his faith so, so remarkable. I mean, when you read the Bible, you begin to realize that God is often counterculture. Uh, and, and very often as well, he's, uh, he's very counterproductive to what we might desire and the way we would do it. Uh, but when we start to remember that God has a well-devised plan and, uh, and we're willing to trust in him, then it becomes a lot easier to, to submit to his ways. So that's my first point. And, and second point is, or second characteristic of uh, a healthy faith is that it is outwardly impactful. Uh, verse 24 says, you, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Rahab takes actions with a viewpoint which is beyond herself. And she decides to shelter Israelite spies as a scout out city of Jericho directly assisting Joshua and the Israelites in conquering the city. I mean, her actions, which were based on, on her faith in God, affected the entire region and resulted in the city being destroyed, her city. So I'm not saying that our faith should be destructive or harmful, but I am saying that our faith should leave a very noticeable footprint. Uh, so our faith should naturally affect the world as we grow spiritually. Some people are going to be receptive to the way our faith impacts others, and other people won't be, but that's not really necessarily our concern. That's not the point. The point is that God demands faith with an outward focus. And to have learned what was, if, you, if you've learned what was achieved by the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ, and you're aware of it, uh, but you, you fail to, to strive to share that knowledge with other people, then that would probably suggest to me that even though you know the good news of the gospel, you still haven't really connected to it, and it's not necessarily personal for you. So I really want you guys to question, uh, what effect is my faith having on the world around me, if any? And so the third uh, characteristic I'm going to look at is genuine faith is sacrificial. And so one key com com commonality between the faith of Rahab and the faith of Abraham is that they are both sacrificial. I mean, obviously Abraham is willing to offer up his son. That's a very obviously sacrificial uh, um, way of demonstrating your faith. Uh, and it's also very radical. But Rahab also uh, uh, betrays her city. And she essentially commits treason. Uh, and with treason, obviously, comes the risk of being executed. So both Abraham and Rahab have that same element of radical action, which is willing to be risky. Um, I mean, these are decision, decisions I wouldn't expect any of us to relate to easily. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of us have offered up sons or, or betrayed cities, but it, I know I haven't. Uh, but th it does demonstrate the type of mindset we need to have in our own faith. I mean, there's nothing we can put in place of God and nothing that we, we should be willing to uh, not do to, get, uh, to glorify his name. And there should be no circumstance that we hesitate in drawing a line in the sand and saying that I'm on God's side. I mean, practically, I think a modern example for us is reaching out, like Jack kind of mentioned. Uh, reaching out to someone is, is often uh, a, a great way to demonstrate your faith. 
Uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it, it kind of implores us to go out and make disciples of all nations. We may read Matthew 28 and choose to either obey it or ignore it. Uh, so let's say we obey and make every effort to share our faith and find someone to study the Bible with. That, I mean, that would demonstrate your faith in a way which is outwardly impactful because you're helping someone develop a relationship with God. However, the mere act of sharing can seem quite daunting. Uh, it's often easier and more comfortable for us to avoid doing that. I know when I first became a disciple, the, the thought of sharing my faith with someone randomly uh, was quite intimidating. I, I didn't like the idea of going out to someone randomly and having an awkward conversation. I mean, I struggle to talk to people I do know. Uh, so it's like, yeah, so it, it's quite difficult for me. But uh, the, the, the fact is, is that walking in faith isn't meant to be comfortable. It's meant to be sacrificial. And so... So the more we, I mean, as, as we deny ourselves and we focus outwardly on other people, then suddenly those, uh, those fears we have, in, they begin to fade away. And that's because we're focused on other people rather than ourselves. So, I mean, yeah. So how do we uh, complete our faith? Uh, the last point I really want to make is found in verse 22, where James states that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So let's really explore the idea of faith being complete and incomplete. Because prior to really looking at this passage, I, I really had no, no, no notion of, of faith not being complete. It was a new concept to me. And so uh, James is saying quite plainly that faith without deeds is incomplete. Faith without actions is, a, without actions is pointless. Abraham was declared righteous by his faith only after his faith was demonstrated uh, through his actions. And he was declared righteous and a friend of God because of what he chose to do with his faith. Uh, when I first read about complete faith in this passage, I immediately thought that perhaps you could have a degree of faith without action, and that was simply not sufficient for salvation, but you still had faith. But what James is saying is a lot more black and white. Uh, in verse 26, he describes this kind of deedless faith as, as being dead, as done. I mean, the notion that someone's faith is dead without work really prompted me to consider whether we as believers could have a faith we perceive as healthy, but in reality, it's, it's not, it's dead. Uh, and so I really had to turn, turn the lens back on myself and really uh, look at my faith to see how genuine it was. Uh, and redefine, I really had to redefine what, what faith was. Uh, so I find that I could sometimes think of faith as being on a scale. So on one side, I have faith with no deeds. Uh, it's like an inwards faith where I, I kind of keep to myself, which, is, which in my mind was, was good. At least you do have faith. But then the more, the more works you have, and faith with works was, was better. But the reality is a lot more black and white. It's not like this is good, that's better. It's, there's only one, one type of faith. And James only gives us two options. Your faith is either with deeds or it's dead. It's not, one of, it's, it's not on a spectrum. Uh, and so this reminds me of a lesson which I heard while I was in Fiji. Uh, and the guy there, TJ, he did a brilliant message that really challenged me to, uh, on whether my life really reflected a legitimate belief that Jesus was going to come back one day. Because uh, it's not something we think of often. Uh, whether Jesus is going to come back or, ha or when Jesus is going to come back. Um, but that message was called Endgame. And the reason it was called Endgame was because uh, it, 
its main point was rooted in salvation hinges on your faith being legitimate, on genuine faith. And so I had to deeply consider whether I was living my life with a faith which demonstrated my actions, or was I living in denial with a faith which was dead? I mean, there's a simple question that we as disciples need to be asking ourselves. Is my life outwardly reflecting what I believe? And I think no matter what you believe in is, uh, the answer is always going to be yes. Uh, what, what you believe will always be reflected by your actions. Um, and so the confusion starts to occur, however, when we start to, uh, when we start to uh, realize that our actions are widely out of sync with what we, be- what we say we believe in. And the reason they're out of sync is because what we say we believe in and what we actually believe in are two different things. Uh, yeah, and, and so we start to bear fruits which we ordinarily wouldn't expect. So if you look at, uh, oh, you don't have to turn that, sorry. But in Luke uh, chapter 6, 43, it says that there is no good tree that produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree that produces good fruit. I mean, the beauty about this scripture is that we can identify through our fruits exactly what type of faith we have. I mean, there's evidence for faith. It's not, it's not a guessing game. Uh, and so if you find that fruits of the faith are not appearing in your life, which you want, perhaps it's not necessarily a, an issue of idleness or laziness or other sins, but maybe it's a, it's a, it's a deeper problem, a, a larger overarching problem to do with your faith, which is producing those, uh, those bad fruit. Uh, so the real question is, what kind of faith do you have? Is it the type of faith that James describes in the first half of the passage? Uh, a faith which is outwardly declared, but not openly reflected? Or, or do you have the type of sacrificial faith that was demonstrated by Abraham and Rahab? Is it the type of faith that is, is sacrificial, obedience? Um, yeah, uh, it's a topic worth thinking about because nothing less than complete faith uh, can save us. So how about we pray now? Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I just want to pray, Lord, that we can, as disciples uh, of Jesus, Lord, that we can, we can have a faith which is, which is impactful, Lord, which is sacrificial, which is obedient, Lord, and that is complete. We want to we wanna be always working in, in harmony with you, Lord, and your intentions for us as, as your children. I pray, Lord, that you can yeah, just assist us in, 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 in doing that. Heavenly Father, I, I just, yeah, just want to thank you so much for, for all you've done for us. I pray this in your precious name.